Hello and welcome to the More Than Mostly Comedy podcast with yes. me, Glyn Doggett, and... And me, David F. Grave. Yes. Me, as I refer to myself, me, David F. Grave. It's like if you're a yes. fan of Futurama, me, Bender. That's what he says all the time. Um, yeah. If you're not, doesn't matter, because that's the only <laughs> Futurama reference in this podcast that I'm aware of. Or- or any podcast we've done of this series ever. I think I did refer to it one other time, actually. Something to do with something episodic, I'm, but yeah. I'm going to go back and uh, find that. Yeah, if you could. Could you do it now? or? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. How many are there? His face said no. Um, yeah, well, thank you for joining us here for another episode of this podcast. And this happens to be the last one we record in uh, 2020, 2020 vision, chuckle vision. Um, and it was with the fantastic, we say that every time, but genuinely she is, uh, Lynn Ruth Miller. She absolutely was brilliant. And I'm really sorry, I have to apologise because I realised when we were recording Lynn's interview and also now I've got a really creaky chair and I'm oh. now sitting as still as I possibly can. And I'm sorry for anyone who hears creaking throughout the interview or creaking now because... I'll do the best I can in the edit, Lynn. But actually, could we just could we get a creaky wild track? Could you just do about five seconds of pure creaking? Like really go. fast ones. Here we go. Oh, you know, typically... <laughs> It's not doing it now, but it, it does it when I'm just, just, just try, it. just try, just in case. I'm sure I'll be able to turn the volume up. Oh, that'll it's not do. doing it. I, I can hear you it. I can hear it here. You'll, you'll that, that'll bit. be the wild track. If I run that all the way through, you won't even notice it. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, perfect. Be, I mean, it'll Sorted. be fucking irritating, but you won't yeah. notice it. Um, but you know, that's that's the nature of doing it the way we're doing this through Zoom it once is. again. Uh, Lynn Ruth Miller is the oldest working stand-up uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. So she's, she's 87. And didn't mm. start comedy till like 71, I believe it was, which is just, I mean, Mind that's blowing. mad. So, I mean, like for us, we basically need to sit around for another th- about 31, 32 years. Is that right? Before we yeah. start doing comedy. Almost. <laughs> to be like only, her. So it's only about, we're, we're about sort of nine, ten years off of our lives so far. Again, we've got to sit that yes. sit around for. Does that makes sense. Almost, yeah. Before we even start. Yeah. I mean, because like 30. Which gives me a lot of hope for our futures. A, yeah, we might be way. like fantastic marine biologists. <laughs> we just don't know yet. So at exactly. some point, we'll be somewhere and we'll go, I would like to be, I don't know, some sort of um, chicken shed builder. I don't know what that is. I, you know, I, who knows? I, I'm, I'm going to be a great <laughs> um, escalator a designer. I don't is, know. That, is that a chicken shed builder? <laughs> I just went with <laughs> what came of, out. A lot of wire mesh. A lot of playing with wire mesh. Wire mesh. But I, I wire might mesh. be fucking excellent at it. You know, I might be just the, <laughs> the best builder of like, sheds for chickens. I just don't it's know really spe- It's really, it's really specific. But <laughs> you'd it. like it if I did, wouldn't you? Maybe this is the moment. Yeah. Maybe that was the moment when I realised. Can you build one? Can you build one and I'll get some chickens? Yeah, you get some chickens. I'll build a shed. Yeah. We'll have a lovely time. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy, really, you know. Um, mm. And also her story, um, I mean, she's the sort of person where she'll say something that in any other situation, you'd be like, what? We need to explore that. But because yeah. there's so much and because you're doing it in a short period of time, moments like that, where you'll be listening and go, what? But we don't have time to, to ask the question, but we'll do it next time. But we will. So there'll, have to be a, there'll have to be a part two potentially because I think yeah. there were so many things to cover in this interview. But um, yeah. but yeah, anyway, listen and enjoy it. That's an that's an order. There, that's, yeah, no, no that's, yeah, I'm just telling you, you must. Yeah. You, must you will enjoy it. it. But, Even if you don't yeah. enjoy it, you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, listen to Lynn Ruth Miller uh, right now. So uh, we're joined now by Lynn Ruth Miller. Hello. 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 How hello. are you doing? You okay? I'm fine. I'm alive. NHS is telling me that I have moments before I won't make it. I get all these letters. 
<laughs> you are vulnerable, as I know. Oh, yes. You don't need the reminder, do you, Constantly? No. Do you, out of interest, have you received contact yet about having the vaccine? Wednesday. Oh, oh that's good. Oh, well. That's a good. That's a quick turnaround. That's not too yeah. bad, because at time of recording, it was only like a few days ago they actually started, wasn't it? I got a letter from my, my uh, practice, and I called the number. Yeah. I'm getting the first. I guess you have to have two of them. It's two, I think yeah. so, yeah. That's yeah. what I said, yeah. I think it's it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, we probably will all drop dead from the shot, but it's uh, <laughs> doing it for so that everyone will know that we think it's safe. I understand the Queen is going to get a shot. Yeah. Ah. I think it is a conspiracy to get rid of the older generation. I believe it's just we're going to do that. <laughs> I know. I've but what? That for years. Yes. Yeah. But I will now be coming to you when you've had it to ask you how you're feeling every day, just yeah, to get yeah. a kind of heads up before we. Are get you the sure you feel? Because right? you're the first yeah. person I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I've already had it once. I had it in March. Very, very wild. I had it in March. It's a, it's an interesting thing because, especially at this holiday season, it makes me very, very sad because I think that the thing that most people are most afraid of, everyone says the most thing, they're most afraid of public speaking. But no, oh, I think yeah. most people are afraid of each other. They're afraid of what people think. They're afraid of each other. And we've exacerbated this with this, all the publicity and all the doomsaying uh, with the virus. What I think is, I'm not sure how much is that we have to do, but I'm very interested. I hope I live long enough to, to get read what they say about us in history five years hence. Well, about, yeah. Remember, I lived through the Asian flu. Yeah. Um, uh, scarlet fever. I remember scarlet fever. Uh, polio. Yeah. Mm. We never yeah. shut the country down. And and my mm. concern, we weren't supposed to be talking about this. We were supposed to be talking about comedy. My concern no, is fine. child abuse and the domestic abuse. Yes, yeah. that's one of the big worries, isn't it? Because obviously so many people are stuck with people, abusive people that they can't leave. Um, it isn't just that. The children are getting underfoot and they're, they're, they can't stand it. And they're, they're, yeah. that can harm a child for life. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, hopefully, at least the fact that there is a vaccine now, although I know it's going to be a slow process, will gradually bring to the point where things will go more to normality, and we won't be those people won't be in that position because, yeah, obviously that's a that's a terrible place for anyone to be, and the more we can do to prevent that, the better. You're saying about the things that you lived through. Uh, my wife pointed out you were born the year that Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. So yes. That's, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I was born the same year that Hitler came into power. Yeah. Is there, is there a correlation in your lives and your... <laughs> also came into power that year. <laughs> who, who was that? Sorry, I missed that. I made Hitler look like Shirley Temple. My mother was a mighty woman. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I was I was reading about, um, with your first book, with a semi-autobiographical novel, I believe it was, is it um, Starving Hearts? Is my first book. Yeah, and you talk, you talk about your mother in that, don't you? Or, or at least I it's... Always talk about my my mother when you have a mother like mine that's what you do you're what? bruised for life people still remember when i'm getting letters now from people that when i went to college with i think it's because now they're all retired and have nothing better to do and they're going to look around and say who's still alive and i'm getting honestly <laughs> and i'm getting other and they the, the one of they all remember my mother right and they they didn't like her they all remember my mother and she was not really that horrible a person but she was a she was very strict with me Right. And in those, you you know, life has changed so much, and I don't actually realize it. Of course, because I don't have children and I don't have grandchildren. Thank right. God. But I don't. <laughs> this is a blessing. 
that I didn't expect. But um, when the, what we used to do is we used to gather at each people at other people's homes. Right. And we used to, we used to go in. I remember we used to go into their house and we'd raid their their refrigerator, drink Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah. And and talk after school, or we would meet at the ice cream parlor at Franklin's ice cream parlor, and yeah. we would because we had metabolisms that were you know they we burned wood we were you know <laughs> yeah. and we and we would have uh, ice cream sodas that they don't even make anymore and chocolate milkshakes and hate our teachers, uh, <laughs> but you couldn't meet at my house uh, because you couldn't go into my house because my mother kept a clean house. My mother was a right. Jewish housewife kept a clean house and she was sure that all these people would track mud into her living room right and we had in our living room we had a big fireplace but we didn't burn wood because it would dirty the house we right. had yeah i mean but but the thing is that we used to gather at each other's homes hmm. and i was never allowed to go anywhere so everybody remembers that right because Did you, do you have siblings around you at the time I had a sister who was eight years younger, whom I despised. You're, you're out of the, you really are not bringing out the best in me. Shall we talk about it? <laughs> I was only interested because I have a similarly uh, overwhelming mother that I've actually had to break contact with. So I was sort of, I find it interesting that obviously these things still have an impact on your life, albeit many, many years afterwards. made me funny. I've right. often, I've said the thing that made me funny, uh, and if you read, hint, hint. <laughs> Go for it. Plug it. Go for it. Book. Yes, yes. It's a million typos in it. Please forgive me. My <laughs> editor didn't listen when I said you had to do something, and the whole last half hasn't really been edited right. So it's got lots of. I'm not ignorant. I'll eventually change it. But this has a lot of what happened. But the thing is, it's what made. I was talking to somebody last night about it. They said, "Why didn't you just?" give up because yeah. i mean an awful lot of really terrible things as i look back i didn't think they were terrible i thought they were well that's today you yeah. know yeah yeah let's yeah. pull yourself out of this shit today yeah. you know um i don't know whether you know this story but i i always believed i always believed that that something good was going to happen and huh. the story that really typifies me is the story of this psychiatrist uh, that was explaining to his class, he was teaching psychiatry, the difference between an optimist and a pessimist. Right. And he was explaining it, and he said, I'm going to show you. And he took the class into a room where there was a little boy sitting, surrounded by the most beautiful toys, crying. And the psychiatrist said, Billy, why are you crying? He said, well, because if I touch one of those toys, I might break them. And then the, right. the psychiatrist said, so now I'm going to show you an optimist. Yeah. And he took him into another room, and the room was filled up to the windowsill with horse shit. <laughs> and there was a little kid in the middle, and it was a redhead. It was a redhead. It was a, a ginger. And he was throwing shit all over the place and laughing and screaming and happy and giggling. <laughs> and the psychiatrist said, uh, Malcolm, why are you so happy? And he said, well, with all this horse shit here, there's got to be a pony somewhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> the story of my life. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking, there's got to be a way. There's got to be someone that won't yell at me. There's got to be someone that will mm. think I'm wonderful. There's got to be. And I kept looking. Mm. And looking. And mm. you would think after a few years I it would occur to me that there's gonna be no one, but I know that there's someone. Yeah. Did you find it sort of cathartic writing the autobiography? Was it how, how did you even approach it? Was it uh, I mean I, I suppose some of it might come from your stand up. But... Of my shows and my the shows that I've done and a couple things that I wrote that were that were new. Yeah. Uh and the trips that I've taken. The Starving Hearts, which is my first novel is about what my life was like. Right. I've been writing. Writing 
is, is what saved me. I've, I've been writing since I was 10. I was published when I was 10. That's very impressive. So you were, because you were a journalist, am I right in saying, just to sort of clarify for anyone who didn't know, that was your, was that your main occupation or? or no, no, I was a teacher. A oh, teacher? Oh, right, okay. Wow. I was both. I have ah. a master's degree in education. Ah. And I, I had a, a television show on CBS that right. was absolutely abysmal, and it was called <laughs> The Little Playhouse. And it was horrible. And <laughs> my mother, that was the only thing my mother used to watch it, and they used to film it because it was such a terrible show. They would film it uh, like at six in the morning when nobody, nobody was watching. And my right. mother would call up and, she, and it had live children on it. Okay. In my classes, so everybody loved to be in my class. So right. it was filmed in your school, was it? Filmed... No, no, no. I had oh. seven-year-olds. Ah. I, I heard from one of the little little children. Well, they aren't little now; they were sixty uh, in my <laughs> class. But yeah, and and so oh, they would say, "You go to you're in Miss Miller's class. You get to be on TV." And it was CBS. It was CBS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was the and nature of the would... show then? What was the program like? What was what was the setup? Main thing you have to know is is it's the same thing with this little optimist thing where I know yeah. I can do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, to uh, to, I'm from Toledo, Ohio, which is nothing to be proud of. Anyway, <laughs> I'm from Toledo, Ohio. And they had just, after I, I graduated, when I got the master's degree in education, uh, they had just opened up, on, CBS had just opened up an outlet in Toledo, and it was called WTOL TV. Right. And in those days, uh, the commercial television stations had to have a certain amount of public service. That's where you don't get paid. That's also the story. <laughs> My life. Uh, We're yeah. familiar with that. That's yeah. that's our bugbear right. as well. So yeah. Well, I think it's most comedians have this problem. Is, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I seem to navigate toward these professions where you don't get paid. And yeah. I was my father's secretary at the time. And this is also I was my father's secretary. And in those days, when you were a secretary, of course, you were the same thing as it's the same as a prostitute or a housewife. It was the same thing, uh, except I watered the plants. But anyhow, you always wore really high heeled shoes. And I would be tottering around in my high heeled shoes. And I walked into WTOL TV just because the door was open. Right. I was on my lunch break. Yeah, yeah. I was I was walking for exercise. That was about all I ever did to keep fit. And I walked into the, and I can still remember that man's face. And I cannot find his name. And I've been trying because of the book to right. find what his name was. It was Bob something. And I remember he wore horn ring glasses. And he was very establishment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. You know, I just had this degree, and the degree is from Toledo University, which has approximately the same standing as the the first university ever begun in the Belgian Congo before anyone. <laughs> yeah. I remember. <laughs> and it stood you in good stead. This yeah. was was not a degree that anybody gave a damn about, but I did. Yeah, yeah. I walked in, and, and at that time there was a there was a show called Romper Room, and it was it defied everything I had learned in creative arts for children. So I walked in, and I and this guy looked at me, and he figured, what the hell is this woman standing in front of my desk? I'm busy. And, <laughs> And I said to him, say, I said, I just saw Romper Room. So he said, well, what'd you think of it? And I said, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and he's looking at this woman. And, and I was, oh, and I was really into my anorexia by that time. So I weighed about one pound. I mean, it was like a walking skeleton in high heels was standing at his. I looked awful. Right. And, and I looked at him and he said, well, I suppose you can do better. You know, he's mad at me. Well, yeah, you yeah. can remember the little optimist of that. I said, yeah. 
idea, no idea what television was. Yes, I can. <laughs> he said, well, if you can find a if you can find a sponsor, I'll give you a program. And I thought, you know, nobody said to me at home, if you can find a sponsor, I'll kill your mother. Nobody said that. <laughs> if only. I hadn't had before. Mm, yeah. And my husband had left. That was this, I was this was I was already a divorcee. Right. So I called the Toledo Art Museum, and remember, television was very new. Hmm. And I said, "Well, would you like a program on CBS?" Right. And this is this is you have to understand what that sounded like. That was, "Would you like a program on outer space?" And, yeah. and mm -hmm. well, it's still a big deal. Still a big deal today. Yeah. Never asked me whether it was going to be a good program or not. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's terrible. It was awful. And I, uh, that's how I got it. So I was on for a year and then I, I married again and I left. Wow. What, and what year was that? How old were you then when you did that? Do you remember? I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm thinking I was 28. Right. Oh, no, I was 27. I know I was 27 because right before the thing was to begin, now remember, this was my marvelous chance. Yeah. Uh, right before, and by that time, I was living away from my mother. Um, I had saved enough money to live in a sub basement. Right. Yeah. So I was very moldy. I was in a <laughs> sub basement. Yeah. I mean, I used to come out the front door and sort of wipe off the mold. <laughs> Must have stood you in good stead for the Edinburgh Fringe, surely, oh, that sort yeah. of place. Worth the rent. But anyway, um, and I was supposed to go screen the program before it came, uh, it, it went on the air. And the engineer, who was English, by the way, he was English. His name was Paul. Uh, he said to me, uh, I'll drive you, I'll drive you down to the station. And I had had a, a pretty bad time with men by that time. The first husband had beaten the crap out of me, and uh, no one else had even looked at me, and my father couldn't even remember my name. So the male part of the species was uh, very frightening to me. Yeah. <laughs> I knew they were either going to hit me or they wouldn't know what the hell I was. So I, so I thought, okay, if I go in the, the car with this man from England, mm -hmm. England, yeah. I'd better, because they have different morals than we do. And ours are pretty bad over here, too. So I took my knitting to shoot <laughs> myself, Yeah. got in the car, and we drove to the station. But some lady was uh, testing a new car and drove into me. Oh, God. Oh, right. I shot through the windshield. And I can still remember. That's why I know I was 27, because as I shot through the window, I said, I am 27 years old and my life has ended. Whoosh! And yeah, I yeah. And I was, and I landed on the pavement, and my shoes landed on the front door of the only nightclub in Toledo, Ohio, which was a forecast of what was to come. <laughs> and my mother was watching the news at the time, and my mother had a smart mouth, like I do. She has a smart mouth. Right. And I remember, I had anorexia, so I was extremely skinny. And she's watching the news, and she sees this stretcher come out that looks like there's nobody on it, but you see two feet. Yeah. And my mother's being funny. And she said to my father, ha oh, ha, if I didn't know better, I'd say that was Lynn Ruth. And then the announcer came out and said, Lynn Ruth Miller, the star of the little God. playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and shot through the windshield, and we think she's dead. But they oh. didn't say it that way. God. And that, and that was the beginning of my career. In wow. <laughs> it's, it's certainly an auspicious start, isn't it? That's, that's incredible. It was not very auspicious, but it was. that's how I began. And it, the thing went for a year and a half, two years. It got good ratings, but right. it was awful but i suppose that's how you learn isn't it you get the, and also like telly was learning at that time as well because it was still mm. early in the Pretty much yeah, yeah television was learning also they didn't yeah. know what they were doing but it was i used to have a tape of it and you would not believe the size of that tape which right. is why i don't it anymore <laughs> they put big real 
yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even movies are not like that anymore. You know, everything's small. This yeah. was a great big tape. And when I saw it, I realized why it didn't win an Emmy or anything. <laughs> Does it exist anywhere now? Is it on YouTube or anywhere? So like, no. I wonder if we could find. I wonder find if it is. It went for a long time. Yeah, you would think it'd be somewhere. I married another. I married another disaster, <laughs> and that was when I went back to school and got my degree in journalism. Right. Okay. Ah, so, right. so when was this? How old were you then? Were you in your thirties or? Well, no, I was 30 when I went to Stanford because that was the year that John Kennedy was assassinated. Right, okay. And I listened to the whole thing on the classical music station because I couldn't afford a television set. Right. Uh, and, I, and I was in Palo Alto in California, and I was getting a master's in journalism. And when I graduated from Stanford, and you probably don't know about Stanford, but Stanford is, I maintain, the best university in... It's highly the, regarded. It's a well, yeah. It's a in the well, well-known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... Believe it, and I've gone to a lot of universities uh, uh, yeah. in between those husbands and getting thrown around and doing bad TV. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, I find it very impressive to you did all of that prior to JFK's assassination. That's yeah. quite impressive to to us in this. Well, I think that the reason was because I wasn't sleeping around. Right. Okay. You have a lot of extra time. <laughs> Glenn really slept around, no, so it's, it's still, still going on. <laughs> but yes. So, um, so I was busy going to school and getting degrees in between the marriages uh, yeah. and the terrible things that have happened. Now, somebody was reading this and they said, God, I don't know why you didn't pick yourself up, why you didn't just give up. Well, you yeah. do. Yeah. You lie there and you think, well, what do I do now? Stand, yes. Pick up the pieces. That's, that's it, what I did. It? It's resilience. It's so having that. So when I graduated from Stanford, because I still think, if anyone's listening from Stanford, I still think mm-hmm. it's the best university in in the country. And I have been to Harvard, uh, and I visited Princeton, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I I I think it's the best. And I thought, well, of course I'll get a job, yeah. because remember how optimistic. Because remember I'm an optimist. Yeah. Because Wonderful. I'm John Wonderful. Yeah. And I didn't get a job. I was 31 when I graduated, all right? Yeah. When I was 70, I was still looking for that job. I still didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. What, what, was the, what was the job you wanted? What was the job? Yeah. That, what would you have liked to have done at that point? Or? Any. Any. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a familiar thing right now, isn't it? Yeah. I will pay you a steady salary yeah. <laughs> and give you fringe benefits. Um, <laughs> I couldn't get a job. I tried. I mean, and, and I remember when I finally gave up. It's not going to be education. That's one mm. masters. It's not going to be journalism. What the hell? I'll wait table, mm. and I went to a restaurant. And I was really anorexic. When I look back, I realize I looked terrible because mm. I had been starving myself on a regular basis from the time I was sixteen until I was thirty, mm. and then I was still skinny. So I went to apply to a um, chain restaurant. I forget what it was. And they took one look at me, you know, and I, I'm, you have to carry trays. Mm-hmm. I didn't look like I could lift a coffee cup. Right, yeah, and they yeah. Said, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I ended up selling sex. That's what I ended up doing. As you do. Wow. As you do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I never gave up this hope that I would find this wonderful job in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, I mean, obviously your your stories are particularly dramatic in terms of the things you experience. But, I, I, you know, I, I can't, we can't compete with that. But I think that's, isn't that quite common in life? You know, you know, it's like the standard phrase of life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. There's often this route that you're going to. 
and you never get there, but you go all around the place and experience so many other things. Because the one thing that was not on my mind, Optimus, as I was digging through all that horseshit trying to find the pony, yeah. the one thing that was not on my mind was being a stand-up comedian. I had no idea, but right. I was very good at telling jokes. And something else that, that, that you need to understand about people that have had the kind of life I have, you, you look for a way to get approval hmm. when you're not getting any anywhere. And yeah. for me, it was always school. Right. I'm very good in school. I don't think I was that intelligent. I think I was just, it was the only place that I wasn't going to get hit. I wasn't, nobody was mm. going to scream at me. Oh, I'm staying yeah. here. Uh, so I was very good at school. And and if you're very good at school, when I was young, the rest of the kids don't like you very much. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're the one that the teacher loves the best. Yes. And mm. so you got to make them like you too, to make mm. them like you too. You're funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why we do what we do. It's, true. it's such a common thing. And also learning, like you say, that that is the way out of things is to make a joke. You know, but, I know certainly I've always done that. I've always, you know, deflected with a joke. Right? That's right. But yeah. it's also safe. Hmm. If I'm with people, you listen to what's been happening, and I, I haven't really told you the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, other people were any other person was a, 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 a potential threat. Just terrified. Yeah. But if you're performing, you're one step away from them. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you this story, which I've told many times, but it really epitomizes why I continued in comedy. After I took this course in stand-up comedy with the idea of writing about it, I was going to expose them. I thought they were ripping off people by trying to make them funny. I was going to, I was going to expose them, and I was going to get that job in the New York Times. I knew it. It was uh, finally. I was seventy. My time has come. Yeah. And I did a show, and anybody that knows California it was Cobb's Comedy Club, and it was not that I was so good. I would love to tell you it was because I was just such a marvelous natural. <laughs> Wasn't that? It was that the rest of the people were so abysmally bad. It was just so bad that when I got up there, I mean, the audience wept because. I told a joke. I, mean, I, <laughs> I saw people standing going like this. And oh, did you hear that? That said yeah. something because I mean they were 17, 18 years old. They they had nothing to say. So mm. at the end, I mean the clapping and the roaring. And you have to understand, I was the one that that I would come home and my mother would say, "So what did you do today?" I'd say, oh, this time approval from a bunch of strangers. And then mm. some kid came up to me. He was, he had to be maybe 19 or 20, but remember I'm 70. So he looked like, I thought I was going to have to change his diaper or something. And, you know, <laughs> because I, I hadn't seen, and I lived a very alone life. Yeah. I hadn't seen young people. And this, I hadn't seen them. Hmm. Because by that time I had two other television programs that no one paid me for. <laughs> I was writing a column uh, for the Pacifica Tribune. So I would interview people, but these were all people that were older. I yeah. hadn't seen anybody below uh, 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 50 for yeah. really a long time. And this young kid came up to me with his ticket. And he said, will you sign it? <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, oh. And and all the love, you were wonderful. And I looked up at him because I'm four foot ten, and I look up at everyone. And I looked <laughs> up at him, and I thought, you know, he loves me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had two men walk out on me. My father couldn't remember my name, and nobody has gone out with me. He said, this kid loved me. Yeah, yeah. He would have. I would have let him. He would have taken me out for dinner. And I thought, you know, I didn't have to cook him dinner. <laughs> I didn't have to change the sheets. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do this again. And that is why I'm here. Right. Wow. <laughs>
And you just kept doing it again. <laughs> I'm 70 years old and I'm driving. I'm still mm. driving. People are so lucky I'm not driving here. <laughs> I have no sense of space. Yeah. I don't, it's a miracle I, I sideswiped all those cars. But anyway, and you drive on the wrong side of the road anyway. So, but so I was driving. I had a car and I had nothing to do. What was I doing? I was 70. Mm. I had, I had uh, at that time, three dogs and two cats. I fed the cats. I walked the dog. Nothing else. The two television shows. Yeah. And so I got in the car and I went to open mics. And that was when I discovered that even if I didn't have to, they didn't have to pay me because I didn't know you made money. Well, we still don't. So you're, no. you're all right there. Oh, I recognize that. Yeah. You can see. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can tell. tell. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I had no idea you got any money. But what I didn't understand is even if they could have me for nothing, they didn't want me. But remember my background. No one did anyway. I was used to this. Yeah. This was another challenge. I was used to this. And I remember I was doing comedy at 50 Mason and a woman named Betsy Salkin, and I wish she was listening because she's a wonderful comedian. She's now in L.A. And not knowing that I was defying any, I didn't know I was unusual. Mm. Mm. I, I really didn't know that, that, that what I was doing at 70 was not what any 70-year-old would do if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And she said to me, well, if you want to keep doing this, she said, you're going to have to make your own shows. So if you've been listening, I had to make my own life. I had to make my own life a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I made my own life when I went to Stanford. I made my own life when I moved to California, or to San Francisco. I made my own life when I, I moved to New York. I made my own I became a, a college professor, by the way, in between all this. That's I was great. making my own life. I moved to yeah. Oklahoma City and don't ever do that, and I made it my own life there. Yeah. And I was busy making my own life. I've made about 50 lives already. Wow. <laughs> When she said, you have to make your own show, I thought, well, mm -hmm. I can do that. <laughs> and the man that made that possible is still corresponding with me. Who's that? His name is Don, and I'm blocking his last name, but, but uh, Don Holloway. He was running. Um, I lived in Pacifica, California. Pacifica, California is 20 miles south of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We consider that I lived in San Francisco, but I didn't. I lived in, it's a little town with its right. own newspaper. And um, half of it is very redneck blue collar and the other half, bless their hearts, is gay. Right. So this particular bar was for the redneck blue collar people. And it was the bar that as you came off the motorway, that was the bar. And right. it was called Winter's Bar. And I went up to this guy's name is Don Holloway and he's from Texas. And I said to him, how would you like comedy? <laughs> <laughs> And, and he said, yeah, and they had, the, the bar was divided in, in smack in two. Right. And they had a pool table on the right side. And on the left side, he gave me, I, brought, I bought the sound system and the microphone because nobody was getting paid. I got the people who were graduates of this college to come to Pacifica, and I would give them money. And But right. I mean like a dollar, yeah, yeah. like because I passed a bucket. Right. And nobody was listening to us. <laughs> and there was a pool table and I don't know whether you've ever played pool I never had but there was a pool table there. and when it was a difficult shot the guy would lean over this partition where we're doing our comedy and say would you tell those comedians to please shut up and there's a, a comedian named Sam Arnaud who said if your ego ever gets out of hand and you want to tame it yeah. go try to do comedy at Winner's Bar yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I did it for about a year and a half. I did it, and right. and then that was when I started burlesque. Oh. And this was at, so. How old were you then? You were sort of mid seventies, or no? I was. Well, I was about seventy three. Right. And um, a young man whose sister sang in a group called the Golden Bow, and his name was Ian. And he said to me, "Why don't you add songs to your comedy?" Yeah. I said, "Well, because I can't sing." It never stopped William Shatner, so you're all right. <laughs> I mean, I can't do much, but I do it anyway. And I said, well, I can't sing. He said, well, that's funnier. One of the things people don't know is I have a lot of songs that you haven't heard. I have a a parody to a Sex Pistols song. Right, okay. Zero's at everyone, yeah. Yeah. So he made up an accompaniment for the song that I remembered from uh, the 40s. And that, that song is the strip polka. Right, okay. If you've never heard it, it's really wonderful. It's making fun of burlesque line in it is her name is Queenie and and the guy singing it says that they're at the show and he says take her out when it's over she's a peach when she's dressed that's the best line (laughs) so I sang that at Winter's Bar and since she was yelling take it oh the audience yells take it off take it off so I thought well I better take off something (laughs) you can't disappoint them can you ultimately that's the thing yeah something so I got some fancy underwear now just remember what my life was like before, mm. and you mm. wouldn't understand because it's American underwear, but, but they were undershirts and lollipop pants. They were the underwear, I could have worn it out on the street and nobody would have looked twice. They covered a lot of, so I, I, I looked around and I, I think I went to a secondhand shop and I got some fancy underwear and yeah. I and I got a, a bathrobe and I'm singing, take it off, take it off, and I'm taking it off. And my accountant, and everybody at Winter's Bar is paying no attention whatsoever. Yeah. But my accountant, why the hell I had an accountant, I will never know. <laughs> why they were there. Well, yeah. My income was so far below poverty level that the government paid me. <laughs> poverty level at that time was 21000 And my income was fourteen. So anyway, so there's my accountant. Mm. And, and he's, he was wonderful. His name was Robbie. And he kept, he kept canaries in his office. I loved him. Anyway, he was there. He was the only audience. And I'm singing, take it off, take it off. And he felt so sorry for me. He put a $5 bill, which is the equivalent of a one-pound note. He yep. put a $5 bill in my, in, in my brassiere. <laughs> While you were doing the routine. Well, I stopped for a moment while he was doing it. <laughs> That's confusing as well, because like, tax deductible, but yet he's paying you, and I can't quite yeah. work out what that, what that means. Whether... Right in, in. <laughs> my, in, yeah. My little teddy and my 15 slips. And my, I mean, <laughs> oh, all clothes. Yeah, yeah. I thought to myself, no one's been in there since <laughs> I was 25, because the second husband wasn't, didn't go in there. So. Right. <laughs> didn't anticipate was, the next one would be your accountant it's just yeah yeah so i mean nobody had been anywhere near that area of my body since i was 25 i i didn't even do checkups no right <laughs> i was yeah. not there yeah yeah thought, oh i'm gonna do this <laughs> pretty much pretty much i think that's a direct quote oh <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fair reaction i think yeah, yeah at that, that point kind of makes sense. Yeah. And also that he was there yeah i mean what are you doing there? I mean, you're supposed to be doing accounting. But anyway, 
And, uh, and I said, I'm going to do this again. And at that time, I went to the Edinburgh Festival. But I remember I was going to the Edinburgh Festival to review books. So were you traveling over to this country at that point quite a lot? On, on that money. I don't know how the hell I did it. No. <laughs> I, I, although you have to think, someone once said this to me. They said, people like you never spend money. He said, you're right. <laughs> I never do. Um, <laughs> When you're that poor, mm-hmm. and, and you cannot, someone said to me, did you worry about uh, whether you were depressed or not? I said, I didn't have time to worry about anything like that. Yeah. I was worried about where I was going to find something to eat mm. and afford and pay rent. Yeah. Um, I, I used to walk to the store rather than spend money on gasoline, and gasoline was not that expensive. I spent nothing. Yeah. And so I was able to go to Edinburgh every year from 1988 on. Wow. And I don't know how the hell I did it, but I did. Yeah. And and then, after I took this comedy course, I knew Hartley Kemp at C Venues. His venue did drama, and I reviewed drama. Right, okay. And before the comedy thing, I had decided I was going to be a famous author. Right, that was okay. the life mm-hmm. and I wrote 11 novels and pe- peddled them all over and I finally got the one the starving hearts published I published it because the publisher mm. withdrew I mean this is this is what happens yeah, yeah. when they asked for more books after starving hearts I compiled the columns I've been doing into thoughts while walking the door so I was promoting these books and at the end of the reading I would do a reading no one would buy any books I would do a reading right. and then I canned jokes, you know, uh, a grasshopper walked into a bar, the yeah. joke about the optimist, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kept asking me, but nobody bought any books, but they kept asking me back. Of course, they didn't pay me either. They kept asking me back to tell jokes, right. and I ran out of jokes, and that's how I found out. Well, anyway, but in the meantime, I went to this college, and I knew all these young comedians who couldn't tell jokes either, mm-hmm. and I called Hartley, I wrote him, and I said, how would you like comedy from San Francisco? Now stop and think. This is 2014. Yeah. He's thinking Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Steve Martin. Oh, I'd love that. And I brought him. I'm ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really ashamed because he had faith in me. Hmm. Uh, but they were featuring burlesque at that time. And there was a woman named Laura Davis, who is a darling, who is no longer here because she didn't have a proper visa. And they threw her out of the country. So now she's in California. Nice. But she was the PR lady. And she said, they're really doing burlesque. They're doing a lot of burlesque. Do you have any burlesque? Right. And you went, ah. <laughs> oh, my God. I might get. Do you have any $5 bills over there? She said, no. Yeah. Is it basically that whatever question you're asked, you'll say yes, and then yeah. it will lead to that next thing? Mm. Yeah, that's so amazing. I finished each show, but my—I have a really good story for you for this. I finished each show. Of course, I got a bigger bra because you have coins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and I had hope. Do you take contactless or? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. So. I, I finished it. The, the line was, oh, we have a special guest from North Beach in California. Here comes Queenie. Mm. And I was really the hit. I was the hit of the festival. I was, I was, oh, I jumped out of a cake for the Odeon's birthday. I was <laughs> the hit. 
And the rest of the comedians, I'm sorry if any of you were listening, got what they deserved, which right. was nothing, because they were terrible. But anyway, but they, and then Carrie Norman, who is now, he's got all kinds of stage names, is very successful. He was doing a cabaret from Oxford, and he saw me, and I did nightly shows for him at the at the Carlton Hotel. I was, I was living. And then to pay for this show, because you all know how expensive it is. Yes. An art show. I don't know whether you can see this. I painted all those things. You can I was, see. I've been looking at those actually as well. I've been wondering. I spotted the easel yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Collage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so I did a, a paint with Lynn show for him for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Always want to do a show for children, and I did it. And the idea was they had to be, they had to bring a child, but they had to be accompanied by a parent because I didn't want to babysit. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you, I mean, Scottish mothers. God, they believe in their children. They brought me children that were breastfeeding, and they said, yes, Malcolm can draw. I said, well, (laughs) he's going to have to use both hands. And this old man walked in, and this is is a true, true story, with a young boy. And I said, is that your grandchild? Honey, because I'm American. Honey, is that your grandchild? And he said, no, no, no. He said, that's my son. And I said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I do comedy. I said, oh, I said, I do comedy too. <laughs> I said, what's your name? And he said, Billy Connolly. And I said, well, how do you do? How do you do? I said, you know, I have this show and we have guests. I still can't believe I did this. I we have guests all the time yeah, yeah. and you are welcome. <laughs> did he do it is the question. Better give him five minutes because if yeah. he's that old, I know he's fucking someone young, and that's not what I approve of. There, that kid, no. So I said, you can have five minutes in my show, and I want to tell you, I want everyone to know that this man was so polite. I mean, he should have either picked up his kid and walked out, or smacked me, or something. Or, Do you know who I am? He was so polite. I'm he not said surprised. To me, is so lovely of you. (laughs) And I certainly will try to get over there. And oh, it was just wonderful. But I I think if you were to do that to any one person, I think that was the best person to do it to because he's Mm. got such a wonderful reputation. I mean, he started in the the steelworks, didn't he? So it's just, but he's just such a very uh, extraordinary man. It was yeah. just so lovely. And and after after the, the show was over, and you have to realize that this Paint with Lynn was also a hit. Thousands of little children were coming, and they were eating the crayons, and they were... <laughs> and, and after it was over, I called Laura. I said, say, you know anyone named Billy Connolly? Well, I don't have to tell you. That was a... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. That is a true story. And, yeah. and, and another one was uh, Paul Zenon right. and oh, Michael... Yeah. We're doing a show at the assembly rooms, um, and they heard about this old lady that was taking off her clothes. And what they would do is they were on a bed. They were right. on a bed. And after the after the, you did your, your show, you would sit on the bed and talk to them. Right. Uh, because I was unusual, and also because I think they were afraid I wouldn't be able to stand up. I stayed on the bed for the whole show. Right. So flash ahead 15 years. I'm in Brighton, and this man that I have no idea who that is because I can't even remember my own name says to me, "Oh, I said hello. Do you remember me? I'm Paul Zenon." And I said, um, "No, no." He said, "Yeah, we 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 were in bed together." <laughs> thinking, 
No, I would remember that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I once spotted Paul Zenon in a bar in the middle of the red light district in Amsterdam, which is probably where that story should end. But, really? Um, yeah. Oh, I only ever saw him backstage during a pantomime, but that was my... Oh, really? Uh, my that's less... Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, shows, that, that shows where I hang around and where Glyn hangs around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did, did he... Did uh, What I wanted to ask, um, because there's so many things I wanted to ask, I mean, yeah. did, where, so did all of that kind of lead to then you doing America's Got Talent, am I right? And then doing Britain's Got Talent, was that kind of people finding you? It was right around the time that mm. I was dragging people to Edinburgh to do shows and I met Billy Connolly. Yeah. It had to be because it was the third year of America's Got Talent. Remember, I have no television set. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have never heard of anything like that. Probably the best way with something yeah. like that. Computer. I was very computer savvy. Ha, 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 ha. I was very <laughs> computer savvy. And I, um, I'm looking, and, and I was sending emails to people, and, 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 and I look at my email, and in the inbox, I get a letter, and remember the little girl that's looking for the pony? Mm, yeah? Yes. Yeah. And it says, do you have talent? <laughs> right to a bull. Yeah. Of course I have talent. So I wrote them. <laughs> and I mean, I need to tell you that the God's honest truth is I don't have any talent. Anything I've gotten, I've made happen. Yeah, yeah. Anything. This this painting that you see, I started when I was 30, and mm. I taught art appreciation. And I am telling you, this stuff is shit. I've been doing it for 50 years. Now, at least you can recognize something. With the comedy, I had no talent to begin with. I made it happen. But that's so, such a big part of the deal, though, isn't it? I, I think that's such a big part of the deal. And I, and I would disagree that you, have, you do clearly have talent. Yeah. But I think to have the confidence to give things a go and to say yes rather than no to a job. Do you understand the word chutzpah? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You understand? And I can I define it? Yeah, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. go. Yeah. A man murders his parents and then goes to the judge and applies for child support because he's unhappy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have chutzpah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the persistence. Yeah, and yeah. that's something that nobody in my class has continued. I think mm. Joe Gleckler did it for a few years after. He did it for a while. But nobody in my class that I studied with are still doing comedy. Right. They stop. Comedy for many, many comedians, I'm sure present company excluded, are psychologically completely messed up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I certainly am one of them. And the safety, and remember what I said at the very beginning of this, the thing we're most afraid of is other people. Mm. You're connecting with an audience, and that's why Zoom comedy is so difficult. Yes. When you're connecting with an audience... You're getting the love and the adulation for me that I didn't get from my mother, I didn't get from my husbands, I didn't get from the people that beat me up, I didn't get from the editors that didn't want me, mm. I don't get from the major comedy <laughs> things in, in London. I, I'm getting it from that audience. Yes. And mm. with me, because I'm also giving them hope, I really am, I'm giving yeah. them hope. Look what a mess she is, we can do this too. So <laughs> they will follow me out. They will get when I go to Top Secret, they get up and follow me. Hmm. We want to be you when we grow up. And I said, listen, if you want to be me, you have to do all the other things. You have to fly through a windshield. You have to. <laughs> yeah. You want to do it? You're gonna. You have to do the other things too. Yeah, yeah, and that's what makes you the person that you are. But for me, that I mean, that's the best kind of comedy, and that's the best kind of. I think, yeah, like you're saying about you know, there'll be certain clubs in London that are very much tailored to the sort of stag do. So the guy's name is Don. All oh, you talk about the comedy store, and he said, "Oh, I you read talk? this. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah." I said, well, 
guess what? We want me to talk about being 16? Nobody would believe what it was like when I was 16. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's just unbelievable to this generation. We, we were. We ate macaroni and cheese and didn't think it was unhealthy. <laughs> 16. I know what 16 was like when I was little. <laughs> but also, it's such, a, it's such an extraordinary thing for that guy to say, the comedy store guy, because, I mean, I mean it's bullshit, for one. It's just utter bullshit. But the, the fact is that you're talking about yourself. You know, to have the voice... I mean, like you were saying, I mean, you had the people at the comedy course, you know, you at least have the benefit of lots of experience to draw from to have the right to be standing there talking about it. It's the way you look at things. I, I believe, and this is present company excluded also, Jewish people are naturally funny. The reason mm. they are is because they're a minority. Mm, yeah. And in order to be accepted, we go right back to the same thing. To be accepted, you're funny, you're mm. amusing. Yeah, Jewish yeah. people are funny. I remember this young kid that said to me, I'm, I'm, I, he was Jewish, and he said, I'm not funny. I couldn't tell a joke. I said, you had a mother, didn't you? Yes. I said, she was Jewish, wasn't she? Yeah. I said, you can tell a joke. <laughs> tell me about your mother. We'll think it's funny. Mm. You'll cry, but we'll think it's funny. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And and, and it. Uh, it's, it's so. It's, and when you talk about obviously your, I and mean, we're only like really touching on it here because we only got so much time. But you know, it's you keep saying you know you never considered comedy, but it seems like such an obvious from the outside looking in place for you mm. to end up because all of the things are well one about confidence being the prime thing, or certainly confidence to speak to people, confidence to say you can do it. You know, I was not confident. No, I was not right. confident at all. But I was a university professor. Right. Yeah. When I couldn't get jobs, I had yes. to. Yeah. You lecture to 500 people, mm, speaking mm. in front of a bunch of people, mm. that's an echo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is supposed to be the thing that most people are most afraid of. Mm. It's the thing people always say about stand up, don't they? They say, oh, I'd, n- I'd never be able to do that. I have confidence. Mm. If you would see me after a set, I'm shaking. I'm a wreck. I know nobody thinks, everybody says, oh, look how confident she was. Terrified. I cannot eat before I do comedy. Absolutely right. cannot. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, I'll have to do the whole comedy set sitting on the loo. Right. Because I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. What I, I get so nervous. And when somebody asks me, if you, you see me after and you're thinking, and I'm in heaven because people have laughed and they think I'm adorable. and ah. but, if, but I'm shaking. I can't hold a paper. Hmm. my coat I'm, I'm, I'm like that still 17 years do you find if you ever get to watch your stuff back that you get you can't right yeah yeah I was going to say because I wondered whether you'd see it and go okay I can see I don't know enjoy the comfortableness but is it more just you can't <laughs> it's, it's fair enough god I messed that up yeah yeah or, right you should have combed your hair or all I don't know I but I think that's, I mean, so many performers feel that because it's, it's that's the thing that strives to make everything you do better, yeah, I think. That's what I was going to say. Do you not believe that this this is what pushes me? Uh, there's a guy named Grant Lyon, and I hope he's listening because he's a poop. <laughs> Full of confidence. And he won an award, and then he did comedy, and he was headlining because he won this big award, and nobody laughed. And right. immediately... I'm, you know, I'm very compassionate because I, that happened to me. I would immediately take arsenic and forget it. <laughs> Nobody laughed for the whole 40 minutes. Mm. And and I, I went up to him afterwards and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, I can't help it if they're so stupid they don't catch the door. I thought, oh. Hello. Yeah, Christ. Yeah. Still doing comedy. I don't know whether he's uh, managed to... Uh, uh, to absorb a little bit of humility or not, he's still. But I remember him, and he really isn't very funny. No. And I find that the best comedians are not the comedians that are the very big names are funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the next segment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
they're on TV, they're they're getting columns, they're, they're okay, they're yeah. amusing. But yeah. the really funny people are the people that don't have to worry about being woke. And the really funny people are the people that tell you what life is really like. Yes. yes. Not the ones that are saying what's accepted. Yeah, they're yeah. the yeah. ones telling you, listen, I had to dig my way out of a lot of shit. Yeah. And you have to, too. You know, yeah. T.S. Eliot says, mankind cannot stand too much reality. And I'm not quoting it exactly, but that's <laughs> it. Mankind cannot withstand too much reality. Yeah. And that's in his poem, Norton. But it's true, we can't. And when they homogenize these shows to put them on television, yes. they're losing the whole point of why comedy became big. Mm -hmm. Because comedy became big because someone was really telling. George Carlin, I think, was was one of those telling yeah. it like it really is. Mm. Well, one of the, I mean, a comic that comes up regularly when he set himself on fire. I mean, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. I think we all can. But I was going to say a name that comes up often in our podcast, and for that reason, is Phil Kay. Are you familiar with Phil Kay, Scottish comic? Oh, you need to see him. Beardy, Phil Kay, K-A-Y. He's one of those people. Hey, yes. Oh, I know his name. No, I've not. He's glorious, and for that exact reason, um, because most of the time he's just talking about his day that day, but it's just, he's surreal, and but he's a wonderful storyteller, and it, and it doesn't translate to telly. It's one of those things, he's had a couple of shows, I think, in the 80s. They didn't really take, because it's mostly improvised, but he is just, I'm sure, well, you would love him. He's just an, he's just one of the most talented people we've ever... And so many comics say, oh yeah, Phil Kay's our favourite. But for that but there's, reason... There's a man in San Francisco whose name is, is, is um, Johnny... Oh, God, what's that? Johnny, and I'll think of his last name in two minutes. Uh, he should be on every TV program. He should be everywhere. He is so unbelievably funny, right. but he's not uh, acceptable. He says things that are, mm. that are, God, I, I can't believe that I can't remember Johnny's last name, but he is just so good. And I had him do comedy for the students at Stanford University when I was there, and he did an entire hour on the thermostat. <laughs> right, yeah. Another one, I don't know if you know James Acaster, the young comic James Acaster. Yes. He played our very early first like, few mostly comedies. He came to do an hour and it was basically talking about something to do with the room the whole way through. And it was just glorious, you know, because he's, again, just mm. a, a fantastic storyteller with a perspective. Even though he's young, he's got a really sort of clear perspective that's just him. And I think that's it's why it works so well. But, beautiful. Yeah. And it's yeah. something that we need, we need to encourage. One of the mm. things that I think is awful about this pandemic, and I can tell you about 500 things that are awful, <laughs> yeah. is that it's crippled the entertainment industry. Massively, yeah. yeah. And we don't really know how it's going to come out either. No, I, I was going to say, actually, right at the beginning, but have you done any or many gigs online? Because we we really haven't sort of... We avoid them for that reason. Quite a lot for that reason. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I'm able to tell longer stories, which mm. I... Yeah. Because I can tell whether they're laughing or not. Yeah. <laughs> not as many as I would like, but I've done... Yeah many zoom things mm -hmm. and you can't judge the the audience reaction no. and difficult because it it um explains or it, it it has to do with what i say next you don't think that you're editing as you're going but i've always said that comedy is three things you're doing three things while you're up there of course some people are doing a lot more but three things you're talking you're saying what you're saying you're thinking how is it going over yeah, and yeah. you're about what you're going to say next and how it's going over changes what you're going to say next Absolutely. while you're still talking. Yeah. 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 You're still so saying. True. So true, yeah. 
got to do that to be a good comedian. Mm. But you also have to love it. Mm. You have to love it. Mm. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had three gigs this weekend. Right. Mm. My God, I was 21 years old. <laughs> I was... 36, 21, 36. <laughs> and I imagine you must be very hungry then to go back to doing shows as you hungry would do. As yes. Mm. And when this happened, I had to cancel Dublin. And I remember oh. it was in March, and I was supposed to go the next weekend. And the Laughter Lounge, I think her name was Heidi, she wrote me and she said, no, we're definitely doing this. And two days <laughs> later, she said, stay home. They're yeah. not flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To take away this thing that takes people out of themselves, when at this time, people need it more than yeah. Top Secret, as soon as they lifted, in between that little hiatus we had, in between 10 minutes, Mark Rothman was putting on a show. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and that audience, they wanted so badly to laugh. They didn't care. You, I just got there, hello, yeah. I'm Lynn Ruth Miller, I just said something funny. They said, ha ha, I just said something else that was funny. Ha ha ha. They... Mm -hmm. they needed to stop thinking about themselves, to stop thinking, oh my God, I touched that, will I get it? Yeah. Am I going to die? Am yeah. I going to come on a ventilator? Entertainment is the one thing that can pull you out of that miasma, hmm. give you a chance yeah. to get perspective. Absolutely. I'm terribly upset with the way this has been handled, yeah. and I don't want to be the one that says I think they're making a mistake, which of course everyone can tell I do. I do. Uh, but I think <laughs> That the price that we're paying for what I believe is pseudo safety is, is is immense. I was an abused woman, and I can tell you right now that with all these holier than thou people that say, "Well, there's a number you can call," there would have been no way I could have gotten out of the house. No, no way he would have kicked me in the face if I would have tried to get out of the house. Aside from the fact that I was in my nightgown. Now I don't know what other people wear when they're getting abused. I don't think they have a chance to choose their outfit. No. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'll wear something with my coat so I can go outside. There is no way no. That, that that they can they can get help until no. it's too late. And children don't even understand that it's abuse. No. When I was practice teaching, I will never forget this. And my God, this was this was 1950. Three, and I remember it as if it was yesterday. I was practice teaching in kindergarten, that's five, and this adorable little kid got up. We did a thing called show and tell, yeah. which, by the way, is funnier than any comedy show I've ever seen. The children <laughs> tell you about themselves. My son does that now. Yeah. I love it. It's so marvelous. I can tell you wonderful stories, but this kid, it wasn't funny. This kid got up, and he must have been, if he was three feet tall, he was tall. And he got up and he had no front tooth. So remember, when they're five, they're not losing their teeth. Mm -hmm. Lose it when they're seven, mm -hmm. which I... So I said, Leon, oh, and he's talking. And of course, he's just sort of babbling. And I said, Leon, you lost a tooth. I said, that's wonderful. Thinking, oh, did you put it under the pillow? He said, daddy did it, which meant that his father smacked him in the face. Mm -hmm. Now, if that happened now, mm -hmm. a teacher would go down to the principal and say, I think we should, social services should do that. Yeah. Nobody did anything. Right. I had a little boy. This is, I put the story on my YouTube, and, and this is when I was teaching. And, and um, I went to his house. I was teaching in the slums of Brookline, Massachusetts. And Brookline, Massachusetts has the highest income level of any place in the United States. So the slums, those are the people that are cleaning their houses and mm. washing their cars. Right. That's what I'm teaching. It's Pierce Primary School. Mm. And this kid said to me, I want you to meet Mommy. So I am 
I was brought up in an upper middle class Jewish home. Hmm? Hmm. My big challenge every day, besides avoiding my mother, was which cashmere sweater I should wear with which skirt. That was the <laughs> big issue. So this kid says to me, I want you to meet mommy. And I thought, oh, I'll meet his mommy. So I went with him, and I, have ne- I, I, can, I can still see it. We walked into this tenement. There, I don't think there was a front door. It was just a, a hole. Hmm. And you walked in, and you walked up, and Kevin must have been on the eighth floor. There was one toilet on each floor, no door. The odor was unbelievable. We get to the top, and she's on the left, and the other one's on the right. I walk in, and there's a woman passed out that's the mother, mm-hmm. in a one room with six or eight little kids sitting around. And he says, Mommy, wake up. This is teacher. Mm-hmm. And she manages to come to and gives me the story about the guy that comes and beats her. And I was horrified. Mm-hmm. I was horrified. The next day, I went to the principal. I said, do you realize how these children live? And he said, that's why we give free lunches at school. All right? So now, Kevin now thinks that I'm God. <laughs> and St. Patrick's Day, he's Irish. St. Patrick's Day, he bring oh, every morning, his mother gave him a dollar. And he went, oh, she gave him, maybe it was a quarter, 25 cents. And mm-hmm. he went and bought her coffee and a donut before he came to school. Promise. That's what this kid did. Yeah, yeah. He was the oldest. The rest of them were young. I mean, there were just teams of children in there. And and on St. Patrick's Day, he gave me a gift. He gave me a little little hanky with a green ribbon. Nice. And the next day, he came to school with a black eye and a bruised cheek. What happened was he took the mother's money, and instead of getting her coffee, he got me the... Nice. Yeah. And you're looking shocked. I mean, and I told the principal, I was beside myself. Yeah. Oh. Do that, you can have children being beaten up like that. And he said, he said you can't change the world, Miss Miller. Hmm. This is trigger that Crazy. was. And the sad, well, the sad thing is, obviously, any child in that position, that is their world. And that's the one they... saying, David, that's the point. Mm-hmm. They don't know. No, and that's the yeah. thing. And also, the child often feels that they're the problem and that, and, and that they're sort of taught that as well. And it's awful. Yeah. It's... At this at this thing, that, that this now, where you did the homeschooling, hmm. my yeah. mother from a, a Romanian immigrants. They couldn't, I hate, I don't want to tell you what they did to English. Um, the only people that could understand them were people that loved them because, I mean, they murdered the English language. My grandma, who was who was an angel, my grandma was an angel, but if she, she couldn't have homeschooled my mother. She couldn't no. read. What's happening to these children? The cost of this is something I think we're going to be paying... For, for years and years and years is if this and and women that are that 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 no longer feel that they have they have currency mm. And, mm. and and men and you know men are being abused too mm, just of course think <laughs> they're being abused too and, and and don't have the courage there's no organizations for them no this is it and also the attention and the money isn't put into social work like it is but even that i mean how the problem is how do you get to it how do you get to these people because they are trapped in that world and and there is it's education it's education and one of the things now i don't know about your education school and education has changed immensely since i went to school for it but education the dumbest idiots were in school with me. They were the ones that said, well, I'll teach school until I get married. Hmm. The dumbest, 
those materialistic bitches, those were what I taught with. Nobody gave a shit about the kids. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was, when they, they had a big meeting at Toledo University. Remember, that's the university? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, faculty meeting. And, and we're, doing, we're doing classes in Quonset huts. Terrible conditions for these children. Yeah. And so I thought, oh boy, I'll go to this meeting and we'll talk about how we can get funds and we can get decent classrooms. All they talked about is how they were going to make a, a, a room for teachers, a special teacher's room. We're going to have alcohol. Why are you in this profession? I don't know how people are now. I hope to hell it's different. It's changed. I think it's changed. I mean, even yeah. in our time, I think it's changed. I, I remember secondary school and, and some school teachers were really, really sort of in it for themselves and really didn't care. And then there were like others that were really passionate and you sort of learned and were hugely inspired by it. And I, I feel yeah. like with my son so far, fingers crossed, he's oh, seven, crazy. he's seven, he's been through. And so he's only early on really still in school, but all the teachers I've found have been really inspiring. So you yeah. know, fingers crossed, that's kind of the way it continues. Got to, I can't tell parents enough, you've got to go there. Because I'll rem- I remember this, this wonderful woman who, who was, she was, she was divorced. And instead of struggling, she moved into her mother's home. And she said, I will never let my children suffer for my bad decision. And one of the things she said to me is, I will not send them to, to nursery school or to school when they're so young. She said, because they're so little, they don't know what's wrong. They come home and they're crying, but they don't know why. Hmm. They don't know what's wrong. And the good ones are overlooked. The good ones are sitting there, they're being really polite like mommy told them to be, and nobody pays any attention. They're paying attention to the little ship that's throwing garbage. It's crowd control, t- isn't it, basically? Yeah. But those little ships that are throwing garbage, those are going to be the comedians. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is that. It's true. Hey, I don't envy teachers. Being, having homeschooled for however many months it was, four months, it, I don't envy them at all. And it, has, it was the best. Jokes, now you know why teachers are underpaid. This is it. No. But I love teaching. I mean, I know I need to tell you I loved it. I've loved every job I've had. I love teaching. But I didn't grade my children. Right. I didn't, I refused to give my children grades yeah, yeah. because I, I was convinced it would ruin their lives. Right. So I gave them all A's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true, isn't it? Because if you try and subscribe to the idea of like this structured thing that is teaching and what it should be, it's not really what it's about, is it? It's about no. inspiring kids. It's about you know giving them something to connect with and you never forget i'm probably like you you never forget the teachers that do that for you you never yeah. forget them and and they exactly. from a teacher that from a kid that remembered me mm-hmm. and it was so exciting but i remember my children that there were so few teachers where i taught and i've taught in cleveland i taught in 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 um Brookline, Massachusetts, with Cambridge, really, um, and I taught in Toledo, and then and and I never remember any of them that really cared about the children. They cared no. about the paycheck. Yeah. They cared about the fringe benefits. And what a terrible thing to because you send your kid there and you think the teacher said you you were bad, and the kid says, "Well, I don't know what I did," yeah. and you think, "Well, the teacher does." Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Frightening responsibility to be a parent. Yes. And I, th- I think Glenn's right. You know, e- even in our lifetimes, things have definitely changed in terms of the way, where the sort of um, attention is on these things. And education is definitely the thing, ultimately, for everyone to, to make people understand the rights because they should have. And that... begins. 
That's um, yeah. when the uh, uh, Me Too movement happened, uh, which is, of course is still going on. Barbara Kingsolver, who is a, a lovely, lovely writer, lovely writer, and it's her early books that I love best, and one of them is called The Bean Tree. It's absolutely marvelous. She said, "You gotta start by teaching your children." And she she said, "Ever she has daughters," and she says, "Every morning I say to them, all right, let's practice." Hmm. No, I don't want to do that. Thank you, but no, I don't want to do that. I don't want that's not, no. Thank you very much. No, no. Hmm. I was taught to please men. I was taught that's your meal ticket. And you can see what a good job I did on that. Hmm. That's your meal ticket. <laughs> but this is this is the point. We were taught to please. And my friend, I have a friend, a wonderful friend, who said to me, you know, people from our generation, women, are enablers. Because that's what we were taught to do. Yeah, yeah. Education is where it all begins. I remember I went to see a play in Edinburgh about the... God, you know what it is because uh, you're younger. Uh, it's that sex scene with gay men where they have parties and they, they do drugs and they have sex. It's a special thing they all do. And the play, well, I mean, you know the special thing they all do. But they're <laughs> taking a lot of drugs and they're and yes. it's called something. And, it's, and this play was about it. Mm. And everybody there was there because they were going to see a bunch of gay men getting it on with each other. Yeah, yeah. And end of the play, and I'm crying, and I, I cried, and at the end of the play, the line that is the most beautiful line is, everybody is passed out, and they're high, and they're zonked, and, and this one character says, I don't see people having fun, I see a lot of unhappy people. Mm. Unhappy is where we need to begin. Mm. Unhappy, there's a reason why people are unhappy, and we need to attack that reason, yes. and, we, and we do it when we do comedy. We're mm. saying, Get out of yourself for five minutes. And we're also seeing the funny in tragedy. And yeah, that's the thing. That, I mean, I used to do it with my dad because my dad, when he was getting more and more unwell, um, I would make jokes about the things that were going on in his sort of health. And he would be at the gigs. He'd always be at the gigs. And you would hear him laughing. Because, for example, he had, he had a hernia for 30 years, but he didn't tell anyone. And he worried about that, thought it was clearly something wrong, when obviously it wasn't that serious. But he was worried about that for so long. But I ended up doing some material about it. And he was at the back of the room just loving it and laughing. And the release... Uh, of it. The, there's a wonderful, I need to tell you this story because this tells you the importance of laughter. I was doing comedy. I uh, remember I would take any gig and I was doing comedy for a bunch of Alzheimer's <laughs> and I'm doing comedy and they're falling asleep and they're slipping out of their chairs and they're, and I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? And I, and, and when I left, there was a man named Victor and he said to me, come meet my wife. And I come, the wife is in a coma. Yeah. And he's sitting, I'm not looking, that's his wife. And mm. he said, yeah. And then he said, I loved your jokes. And he started telling me jokes. <laughs> she's lying there. She's been there for two weeks. Mm. And I'm telling him jokes and he's telling me jokes. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she laughs. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I will never forget that. I will never forget that. That's her beautiful. name is Jenny. And it tells you a lot, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I've, you've probably seen like the videos of like, uh, say, someone who's suffering from Alzheimer's hears a blues record or something and remembers and it. Remembers. And, yeah, and goes to the yeah. piano and plays it, and you see like the light come on. I think it's, music, you know, comedy, very closely related. These things touch bits that nothing else does, and it's so important. And that just shows you, doesn't it? That you know, just to be present of a joke. Yeah, but we can do it, mm -hmm. and we do it for others because we've been through it ourselves. Because we have—that's the art. Mm. That's the art, David, of seeing the funny. Yes, mm. absolutely. Everything goes nuts, and I do a thing about mornings. Right. <laughs> 
and, and, and everything that happens in the morning. When I do that thing, it all actually happened to me. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, I got tangled up in the sheets. I, 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 the <laughs> coffee fell on the floor. Yeah. But it's funny. Yes. Yeah. That's why you'll love Phil Kay when you get to see him, because exactly what he does, isn't it? Yeah, he, he'll, he'll tell stories about the most mundane things, and it's kind of magical in a weird way. It's just so good. Yeah, I remember Johnny's last name was Johnny Steele, and that's Johnny right. Steele with the thermostat. Yeah, yeah, I have never yeah. worked so hard. I was just like, yeah. well, but this is what we do. And when when we do it, and we've got this audience, they want to laugh. That's the thing that comedians forget. Yeah. They want so badly you've got everything going for you mm. they're not sitting there no. saying make me laugh they're there they paid money yeah, yeah. they want to make them laugh and they're willing to laugh at anything you've got everything going for you yes. yeah, so yeah. i never ever say it was a bad audience no. you you miss the cues i always listen mm. i always try to listen yes. to see how conservative they are but there was somebody else that said this to me who said funny is funny and and the most conservative audience because uh, the spiky mike will put me in some of these audiences where these people are really conservative tory audiences <laughs> and i say pretty outrageous things yeah i have no idea what i'm talking about i'm but, but i say them yeah. <laughs> and it's never not gone over they love it they they think it's funny if it's funny it can't just be shocking that lasts for about five or ten minutes. You get the shock laugh. You can do that, but it's got to be—it's got to have more substance. And you say it's got to be funny, and yeah. funny continues to be funny forever. I think you know, irrespective yeah. of your background. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up. This is the best career. I mean, I educated for two others, yeah, but yeah. this is a wonderful thing, and I'm just hoping that I can continue. So I do want to invite you to my finale. Yeah, well, you have to come back to Hitchin. You have to come back. Yeah. And... No, I am. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be October 11th, 2033. It's going to be in Leicester. You'll yeah. have to come up. Okay. Leicester's okay. We can do that. Yeah. has it in his diary. We haven't decided the theater yet because we don't know what's still going to be there. 2033. 2033. Okay. And you see, this is the crazy thing because you're, you're only a step away. That's that you're 100. You'd be 100 then. That's extraordinary. It's That's, and it's only yeah. really a heartbeat away, we, isn't it, really? Well, no. I figure I'll be about three feet tall <laughs> and I'll be in a diaphanous gown. And I will. <laughs> All of the people that have been shitting to me are going to be in the audience yeah. so I can show them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do this absolutely marvelous show. And at the finale, what's his name? Tommy, Tommy. Oh, well, Tommy Cooper. That's right. That's going to be the, that's going to be the ending, is it? I am going to thank the audience before I do this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to drop dead. What a way to go. Wow. Jethro said to me, so who gets the money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is yeah. that. I, I mean, I know it's it's almost crass to say, but it's genuinely true. You are an inspiration. What you do Massively. to yeah. do what you do now, and to only started it at seventy or seventy one, to mm. uh, and all, not to mention all the others. I mean, everything to have got through and done what you've done. That's that's truly inspiring. And the, the, the thing that's important though is I do make people laugh. It isn't. Yes. No, 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 no. Yeah. They're laughing because I'm old. No, 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 no. I want them to laugh because I'm funny. Exactly, because mm. you're good. That's that's the reason, of course. And and anyone that fucking bloke at the comedy store misunderstands the whole point of it. That's that's just bullshit. You know, it's because you're good. That's the reason. And and you have a voice that is very clear. Absolutely. And the people that are listening, that are, if there is anyone listening, uh, if you want to do this, <laughs> I'm sure there isn't. But if you want to do this, you gotta pay your dues. You've got to do it. Yes. And you gotta go through the times the open mics and the and the yeah. because it's worth it yeah, yeah it's absolutely 
if somebody said to me, where do you get all your energy? And I said, of course, it's not energy, it's fear. But that isn't it. <laughs> yeah, fear. But it isn't that. It's that, my God, I love what I'm doing. Now, all of you, go to your great-grandmas and your grandmas who are in their 80s, 87, and say, so, how was your day? And they're going to say, well, my hip hurts, my knee hurts. Nothing hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the answer, isn't it? I think. Amazing. If you Dick Van Dyke is a perfect example. Dick Van Dyke, who's like ninety yeah. three, ninety four, still going. Oh, is he still going? Yeah. And um, he's extraordinary. Yeah. He still dances. Peter Graham's father. He's in his eighties. He's in his nineties. Mm. But he plays. He plays. A, we call it a xylophone. It's a thing. He plays. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's still doing gigs. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, he's like a spring chicken to you, but one of my huge heroes is Paul McCartney. He's 78. He's still playing three-hour gigs. You know, it's, it's extraordinary because he just loves doing it. It's just the love of doing it. And, and it keeps you alive, yeah. doesn't it? That's the thing. You've stumbled across the secret, I think, of but it's, life. It's all about doing it. Is, <laughs> it must be, and I don't know if this is true, but I imagine it must be just finding something that you love. And I know you said that you loved every job you've had, but is this, is, this the, is this the one? Is this, you know you what this reminds me of? I have a friend named Susie mm -hmm. who had two, three failed relationships that she tried to make work. And then she met Rosie and she said to me, you know, okay, when I taught, I loved it. Mm -hmm. But there were all these things about it, like the administration, like grading children. Oh, yeah. I. When I, when I sold sex, I really loved it until I found out I was selling sex. I thought I was fixing up people. I loved, when I do journalism, I absolutely loved it. I loved every job, but then I did comedy and it wasn't a job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly. it. That's the secret, isn't it? And, and it, it, I mean, it just absolutely sings through across the internet. We can feel, you can feel the love of that. And yeah. we've got Pete Hayne who's listening in says, loved every minute of that. Thanks so much. Let's get together soon, hopefully. Yes. I love that. And I want to sing. I'll have you sing. Please okay, do. I'll keep my clothes on if you really <laughs> hey, want. Well, see, how, see which way <laughs> see it goes. goes. Just yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. accountants there, make your choice then, I guess. Yeah. But, thank you so much. This has gone on way too long. No, thank it's been you. lovely. No, thank you. It? Thank you so much for doing this, Lynn Ruth. Stay, stay, well, get that bloody vaccine <laughs> so then you're safer. Yeah. And then yeah. come let out us and know, see us. Let us know how that goes. And then, uh, yeah. yeah. I will. Yeah. You're, the, you're the guinea pig. Yeah. Data and Lester. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye for we'll now. We'll see you again soon. Thank you so much. Take care. So that was Lynn Ruth Miller. Um, yes. Born on the same year that Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. And mm -hmm. luckily she didn't form some sort of fascist regime, which is one of the good things you can say about her. I, I, what year was that, actually? Because I never... 1933. 33. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my wife said that's one of the only things she learned in history. So whenever that year comes up, she goes, oh, yeah, Hitler was Chancellor of Germany. I, I never learned that in history. I don't think I... I imagine that must have been... Yeah, because that would have been his early kind of upright... Uh, that's, early. Yeah, that's the, what what yeah. did you learn? What what fact comes straight to mind, say, in history? What thing do you just definitely know? Do you know anything? Or I mean, I'm surprised. Know, I can't... Surely... Not, not 1066, the... Battle of Hastings, that one didn't come out? No? Yeah, I went to the Bayeux Tapestry. Did you, you remember that? <laughs> well, you know, you're not impressed. <laughs> um, no, no, that was a thing. Well, that was ten six. That was that was on that, wasn't it? That, that, well, that's the documents that. Did, did you like yeah. walk all the way all the way along it, taking all the story, and went, "Yeah, it's all right." Yeah, so, no. yeah, <laughs> and then just forgot about it. Yeah. Um, no, I, no. I mean, I, I, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Didn't spring to my mind, but I, yes, not I did today. I, I always think ten sixty six. One of those things you just did. Is that not something? That... I tell you what was more more interesting to me was that. Um, when I went to Hastings to the theatre in Hastings, hmm. um, that they then said they they kept telling us the capacity was 
1066. There you go. Uh, I never quite believed it, but that's apparently right. true. The theatre in Hastings has 1,066 seats. But do they actively promote that, or do they just every night, as they lock up, they go, yeah, we know this. Well, no, they don't. And so I'm like, is, is, it, <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it really? Has it really? And I think that it was a bit of a sort of urban legend. It wasn't necessary. It was at one point, but I don't think yeah. it has now. But, um, but that that did impress me for a second. And, and, and yet you didn't seem to recall the date then when I said it. So you, you hadn't... Well, no, I, rec- I, I know I'm aware of it, but it is, I was trying to think of something real sort of something historic that really came to mind and like uh, there was nothing particular that no. i can remember the trouble is i had a, <laughs> if i'm totally honest i had a shit english a uh, history teacher not english teacher <laughs> your history was... teacher was so bad they were teaching you the wrong subject they were teaching you english <laughs> yeah. for about four years um, no which is really harsh because i'm not i mean that's that's too harsh because he wasn't awful but he wasn't inspiring that's no. what i can say which is half the problem and I th- annoyingly annoyingly so because i really like history nowadays and i think if he had been i would remember more about history and i probably yeah. would have done history for gcse which i didn't i did geography i mean I, what's why? the point yeah. but although when you say you really enjoy history nowadays do you mean you, you so are you actually <laughs> saying you enjoy history that's now do you say you say you just like <laughs> yeah. I, just, I enjoy yeah. the now yeah. <laughs> the best I, bit of history is the now bit which in now, many ways yeah. is true it's, you know. I, don't, I think no i enjoy i enjoy reading about historical things obviously nowadays yeah. uh, particularly local history but i'm yeah, yeah i'm much more into learning about historical things now than um than then and it's the thing we said about in the interview as well it's about having inspiring teachers because i would agree yeah. you know for me there were things that i was interested in but well or maybe yeah the way it's presented at school our history teachers weren't great or whatever but it's only afterwards yeah. when you actually start going to places go oh, i want to know about this that you yeah you, you realize so yeah i i i'd struggle as well but and yeah for some reason 1066 think, is the one that i always remember but it's weird because i think is that is that a bit harsh to blame the teacher on the fact that i didn't enjoy the subject but then i think it no you, that is that is but the case kind of and like like, limp, yeah. like like we were saying in the interview she i think times were changing even when we were at school in that there were mm. teachers who were all out for what they wanted to get out of it and weren't really interested in the kids. And then yeah. there were teachers that were hugely inspiring and really sold it, sold you the subject they were teaching. Yeah. And I think now, well, only in the, only in what my I experience of, of um, my oldest uh, experience of sort of teaching is that with Max, he's, he, every teacher he has, has had has been really inspiring and really yeah. engaging. And I think that's also something yeah. to be said about uh, like infant and junior school teaching because it's yeah. it's the more fun bit, isn't it? And also, kids' well, brains are more wanting to take it. They're not sullen teenagers yeah. yet. They're not like not wanting to know stuff. But I think like you and I, I think because both of us went to, I mean, you went to a boys' school. Mine was formerly yeah. a boys' school, and at the point we were at it, it was probably just for me. Certainly in my school, it just become a mixed school. But mm. you still had some of those teachers from many, many years ago. Oh yeah, and, and and the transition. But yeah, so I think that's part of the reason. Secondary school, yeah, it's not very inspiring, is it? Really, it wasn't. No, get, it doesn't. Uh, it, it you know, it makes me nervous about when Max gets to the point where he goes to secondary school because I just mm. remember it being, you know, not particularly inspiring. There were sort of the odd moments that inspired me, particularly obviously drama and stuff. But the, but mm. they're, they're generally, it wasn't particularly an inspiring place. But having said that as well, I think it's interesting because. I look at the education he gets now and look at the teachers and I think that's a, I mean, I know the level of what they're teaching is, is simpler than perhaps if you're teaching GCSE, A-level hmm. maths, for example, but they're teaching all the subjects. They're yes. teaching everything. Yeah. To, it's a bit like being to, a GP, you know, isn't it? 
If you're to a like, GP, to like you've the got youngest to... kids who know nothing. So they're not even yeah. kids who know something. They're at the point. They're at the point where they start where everything yeah. is the first time. So they're yeah. really learning everything for the first time, and then yeah, t- and teaching everything. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I think that's incredible, and so then be able to do that and still be inspiring. Yeah. And still, you know, to get kids to kind of engage with all those, you know, that's. So they look at like their timetable and go for like from nine till one, I'm teaching everything. Yeah. And then yeah, have a lunch yeah. break. Yeah. And I do yeah, everything yeah. until the end yeah. of the day. How do you like, yeah. I don't know how you, you know, I, I so much respect, so much yeah, respect for teachers. And I think that's it. I've, I've, me and every, where every, you know, I'm sure lots, every parent's learned that in the last few months when you start mm. to sit down with your child and you go, well, what are we doing now? English. Okay. We're doing now maths. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, there's so many things and you, you just, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is like being a GP because if you think when you go into a GP, you don't generally. If you just booked an appointment, you haven't said this is going to be about my penis. So you can no. walk in and say, "I've got a problem with anything," and they have to go, "Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, finger up the bum or whatever it is." Yeah, but it's yeah, yeah you could How say anything. Br- I'd like, like yeah. to try and steer them the wrong way. You know, like oh, yeah. you know, my finger's been really sore for the last sort of few weeks, but it's really, but this is massive, like prolapsed anus or something that I actually want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But it's it weird, is, isn't it? Yeah. You don't think like that. You know, you're not like, you get specialities, you know, obviously like surgery, but they're just like, yeah. could, could say anything to me really. Um, but it's the equivalent, it's like, it's like hospitals are the equivalent of secondary schools and a, a GP <laughs> yeah. is the equivalent of a primary school teacher. A GP and I think you should go, go in to a GP and you should say that to them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I've it's worked not this out. Like that, yeah. but, no, but I know you. That's mean, like, but true. when you get to secondary school, they are they specialise. So you know, that's <laughs> fair enough. You've learned that subject. But you know, I'm not I'm not belittling yeah. someone who who is very good at maths or very good at one thing. But they are just doing one thing. Well, in a know? way, it's easier to specialise, <laughs> isn't it, than to have yeah. to be. A, a, yeah, I don't really know how we got here. Um, I don't know. We, we, we talked a lot about teaching, and we talked a lot about teaching in the interview. But um, yeah. then we talked about a lot about everything because she's done loads of things yeah. and quite a, a variety and there's so many things i wanted to ask her about mm. growing up in america about about american yeah. life really because we said yeah, yeah. um before we started recording but like i, I struggled to pick because it's not the country we grew up in so yeah. to picture it's not bulldog 50s, it? 60s america it's not bulldog i mean 50s 60s america is definitely not bulldog um no. at any point even in the 50s and 60s it wasn't bulldog, like bulldog. it's just a big tesco's basically that's all it's got it like the world's biggest now. tesco's but yeah it's, it's not true. the same as growing up in or being in san francisco or whatever it might be no is it? but it's, it's really yeah. interesting so there's so many things i'm trying to you trying to form any pictures i can form in my head are like films and then you know yeah, then you it got, comes you, down all you've got is greece I have. and greece yeah. yeah literally greece back to the future <laughs> yeah. that's your only point of reference you're just trying to stick them in there and you know in greece it's like the 50s but it's really the 70s so it's not really very well, authentic as as is back to the future you know back to the yeah. future it's the 50s but it's the 80s <laughs> um you know and it's 2015 in back to the future too but it's still the 80s you know yeah. <laughs> you know well, it's like it's still the got only... faxes Going back to history yeah. the only history i'm confident about is because of black adder that's the only reason you know that's <laughs> you know I know medieval, Elizabethan, Regency, the trenches. That's it. That's all my history. Sorry. And then yeah. I know the bit about when we went in a future in a time machine, saw a dinosaur. But again, I think that's just the, the blackadder back and forth <laughs> from the millennium. Yeah. But speaking of millennium, speaking about time passing, the other day when I was going through stuff um, in the house, I'm moving into my dad's old house, I found a card from you uh, wishing me a happy new millennium. So that was obviously... Wow. Did I know you It then? was Happy Christmas and Happy New... Of course you fucking did. It was... <laughs> That's um, insane. But that was 19, quite early 19, on in our relationship, wasn't it, though, to be fair? We hadn't consummated was, yet. Yeah. No, we hadn't. That was, very, that was very early on because that would have been... Yeah. For me, if that was 2000, that would have been before drama school. 
Yeah, because I was ninety nine was when I started, yeah. so it would have so been. So I started in two thousand. But but then but then saying that it was only a few months before, if you think about it, because um, I would have started in October ninety nine. That would have been Christmas, and then you would have started the following October. So only about eight. And also we you know we knew of each other through um, or working at the theatre for a while, nice and also college. But yeah, you wish wish me a happy millennium. And now that's, we're that's about, very nice. Of now me. we're twenty years in. <laughs> I like to say, Glenn, it's not happy yet. When does the happy bit start? You promised me a happy millennium. Where the fuck is it? Hey, at that point, what did I know? I was in, um, I was uh, carrying musical theatre bags around and (laughs) I I I knew nothing about life. No, my first sight of sighting Glenn, as you just said, but properly, was in uh, the Anchor Pub in Hitchin with blonde highlights carrying a Miss Saigon bag and and looking looking uh, sort of um, not approachable is probably the best way to say it. You look quite stern, which is quite impressive to do when you've got blonde highlights, really. Oh, I know, exactly. That's what I mean, yeah. And holding a Miss yeah. Saigon bag. What was yeah. I afraid of? You know, you might, <laughs> I don't know, drop jump into some musical theatre routine. You know, you weren't yeah. really going to fight me to the ground unless you were just very into the sort of Vietnam aspect and not and not the musical. <laughs> <laughs> that side of the... Yeah, I like Vietnam yeah. so much I've got the bag. Excellent. I'd like to see that. Send me a picture of me, of my, of my writing from myself. I will do. It's quite, it's quite, I'm quite intrigued to see that. Yeah, it, it's just it's funny, isn't it? it? Things that, those sort of, and obviously, if you hadn't written that, I, that could have been any time because your handwriting, like mine, is atrocious. But yeah. um, it's you know, like a spider who crawled across the page is what someone as, told me. As once. one of her favourite teachers once said, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you hadn't written that word, just probably on a whim when you're writing that card, you, yeah. you wouldn't know that like 21 years later, <laughs> no. which is what it is, yeah. I, or 20 years, I would go, oh, that, that's, that's nice. It's, still, it's been there all that time, <laughs> filed away in my dad's house. That's, you know. insane. That's crazy. That it's, and if you hadn't written Millennium, there. I would have just gone, oh, it's a car from Glenn, isn't it? <laughs> just yeah, not known. Th- but that's, that's quite a unique... That, I mean, I don't even know if I, I've got things from that point in no. time. Some, it's weird, maybe they it? are somewhere. I'm impressed by that. I also had a thing where I um, pulled out one of the drawers, because it's, it's an old chest of drawers that used to be in my bedroom when I was a kid, and also a teenager. Um, some passport photos, and one of them was a picture of me with basically the same hair I've got now. It's like... Oh, God, nothing's changed really, has it? So I've gone through like three stages that rotate. But it's funny you look at it and go, okay, remove the beard. Yeah, it's basically the same. Which I suppose is heartening <laughs> when you're nearly 40. But Yeah. You've you go. got a full head of hair, which is impressive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you think. You haven't seen me actually for quite some time. It's true. I've you? only seen from the front. I don't know what's yeah. going on behind. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like a sort of, you know, like you get the, the fake backdrops you have on Zoom or, or yeah. Skype. I've got one with a hairstyle and I just sort of position myself <laughs> yeah. in it. It's yeah, bald as a coot, I think is the phrase. So <laughs> next time you send me a card, can you put something that's age specific? So I go, I've got oh, to be- that was 2020. Yeah, happy pandemic, you know, recovery. I go, oh, yes, yeah. it's the, well, which pandemic? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Would it be yeah. the first one? But yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, I'll show you that. Brilliant. I think we're still doing a podcast, so... Um, no, we're not. I suppose that we should... That long time ago, we, we ended that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for listening again to our, our ramblings and for hopefully listening to all the other episodes that we've got that are available yeah. uh, in the same place you heard this, most likely. I yes, that well, indeed. Yeah. And keep listening. We've got more more coming and more, um, and hopefully some live stuff and more going and some live shows coming back where hopefully we do more podcasts, but on stage in yeah. the hopefully not too distant future. Yeah, and um, I really hope we do do that because obviously that mm. was the sort of, that was the intention for this year as we reached the end of mm. 2020. You know, we entered it going, we'll do something new. We'll do the live podcast on stage. So the first half of the gig will be the gig and the second mm. half we'll interview the acts. And it was something that went, oh, that'd be exciting. That's the thing that we can explore. And then we did one and then we obviously yeah. done all of this. But yeah, I do yeah. genuinely hope that we can go back 
and do that now having done this sort of 12 or so uh, interviews like this yeah feeling more relaxed and you know and doing it from the audience because it's interesting these things yeah. are often more interesting and in many ways more entertaining than the actual gigs uh, when True. it comes down to it so yeah True. hopefully we'll do more but who knows who knows who knows uh, we've got to have injections and keep the social distancing going and we'll be all right yeah exactly yeah. don't be an anti-vaxxer um, that's bullshit um that's that's my advice to just fucking get the injection you wusses because you know the amount of food you eat you've better food you eat and you don't go oh but maybe it's got so you know just trust the fucking yeah, scientists it's true god's it true and you know and if your stance is anything but uh what david just mentioned then um you know just we don't care we don't care we don't just turn you. off we don't want you i yeah. mean we're not getting any money from you anyway <laughs> it's true it's and, true. and you're, you, you know, you're, if you don't have the injection, you'll probably die. So what can we do? But on that um, bleak point, uh, but uh, and genuinely, if you are listening, you're anti-vaxxers, just stop. I don't care. I, it's wrong. <laughs> it's, mm. it's wrong. It's based on no evidence. It's based on the fact you saw it on Facebook. Oh, someone's brother said that, you you know, how about we listen to the fucking scientists? And how about Although, we also... Just a, just a small disclaimer, though, that if people are listening to this in a year's time and there's oh, been multiple dead. side effects and we're all dead, <laughs> yeah. uh, then we, uh, <laughs> we don't 100%. <laughs> yeah but no but then also keep <laughs> but, taking yeah. all the various medications that we all take true. and we still live live our lives i think it's more important that we protect people than you know it's you know it's like but nothing like fucking people who know nothing about anything to be like me talking now saying you should have it i hate people like me <laughs> um but yeah anyway thank you for listening to this thank you for keeping supporting uh this podcast if you liked mm-hmm. it tell us there's one thing we don't get very often is any likes or you know on the way when you people listen to it and they go oh you know, either they thought it was fucking terrible or they just don't you know let us know what you think we'd love to know we'd love to tell know us i mean if you've you got this it. far into this particular podcast which is actually quite long already yeah. and you've listened to it please tell us what you think of it because it would be amazing to hear and to the yeah. fact that you've heard us ask this question yeah. if you can reference that you heard us ask this question yeah and you're now replying to it by letting us know that would be you almost really need to impressive. plant an easter egg don't you the things so that, that they would yeah. only know if they'd listened to this point yeah um yeah can't think of anything. Use the code word. I, 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 I once uh, put a note in a bottle and threw it into the sea in, in I think it was uh, Walton on the Naze. So right. let me know about that bottle that I put, you know, with the message that I threw into the sea. If you know about that, you've listened this far and I'm impressed. And if you if you can reply to that note um, and yeah, you know what that got note the said, note, then even more amazing. impressive. Yeah, that'd be re- that would be incredible. Imagine that. And <laughs> but not only did they find the note, they happened to listen to this podcast. And went, I know exactly. Oh, is that David? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That would be amazing. Or fake yeah. one. You know, find my handwriting online. Go all mm. out to just fake it. To remember, know, think of spider crawling across a page and then yeah, right. <laughs> write it with the wrong hand. It'll probably be about about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And we do rabbit on. But um, keep joining, uh, listening to this stuff. Go and support, go and see Lynn Ruth Miller. And yes. we'll hopefully see another one of these or hear you. Have you hearing us soon? Mm. Don't yeah. talk about how we rabbit on about nothing because we know. We know that. Give us something new. <laughs> Give us something new to be paranoid about. <laughs> Not the ones we expect. <laughs> Goodbye. And if you've learned nothing else, Hitler was Chancellor of Germany, 33. Uh, the, the Battle of Hastings, 1066. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Bye.